Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 13th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As we all know, we are in a, a very important time, a very important week where progress needs to be made on the issue of the protocol, on getting the executive back up and running, getting the assembly into action, and ensuring that people have uh, government, that we have leadership uh, here in the north of Ireland. An important week indeed that started with great hope for all of those reasons. We had hoped to, uh, with others, make progress on those issues at today's uh, leaders' meeting. Uh, I travelled for that meeting because I believe that it is an important meeting. That's the Sinn Féin president speaking on Wednesday. Mary Lou Macdonald had travelled to Belfast to head up the Sinn Féin delegation, but... Rather than having that kind of meeting, a kind of British Tory petulance has uh, emerged. Mary Lou Macdonald, the leader of Sinn Féin, locked out of talks between political leaders with the British government. A bizarre situation, she said. And in an unprecedented way the British government chose to uh, seek to exclude uh, the leader of Sinn Féin from a leaders meeting. A hopeful start to the week but that hope undermined by what all political parties here in the South agree should not have resulted in the British excluding one of the party's leaders. It has to be said unacceptable. Uh, We're at a time where we need maximum uh, cooperation We need politics that is civil, that is based on respect and that recognises the democratic mandate and the responsibility of every party, including Sinn Féin. And John O'Dowd, Sinn Féin MLA for Upper Ban, joins us now. We'll talk about where all of this is going in a moment, uh, John. Uh, But can we start with how your party president was excluded from those talks? Because Geoffrey Donaldson has said this morning that those talks are internal talks in Northern Ireland. And because Michelle O'Neill is the Sinn Féin leader in Northern Ireland, it's Michelle O'Neill who should head up the Sinn Féin delegation at those talks. What's your reaction to that? Mary Lou MacDonald is the leader of Sinn Féin across the 32 counties of Ireland. Uh, Michelle O'Neill is the vice president of Sinn Féin across the 32 counties of Ireland. And the British government are 
our Waravats, yeah, the Waravats, and he definitely has engaged with Mary Lou on many occasions in the recognition that Mary Lou is the leader uh, of the party uh, across the island of Ireland. So I think attempts by the British government to rewrite the rule book in terms of how discussions and engagements take place is a huge mistake. It was created a distraction. It did uh, prevent uh, what could have been a useful engagement between all the political parties uh, and the British government and kept the momentum going within which the talks mm. between the British government and the EU. So these it looked like we were getting over that, though, didn't it? Uh, uh, and uh, it seems as though Geoffrey Donaldson is stoking the fire again this morning. Well, uh, I don't know what Geoffrey's agenda is or what he's attempting to do, but Geoffrey knows fine well that uh, Mary Lou MacDonald will be continuing to lead Sinn Féin in terms of any engagements. Michelle O'Neill, uh, as deputy leader of the party, is... is will continue to lead Sinn Féin in terms of those engagements. And Sinn Féin will decide who attends talks at what time when uh, or who is attending those talks. So it's all a distraction. What we need to do is get the, the engagements going. The British government and the EU need to step up their engagements around, particularly the British government needs to, to come to the table with uh, a, a working proposals or working relationship with the EU to try and get over this. But there's nothing to stop the DUP and Jeffrey forming an executive with Sinn Féin and the other political parties today, tomorrow, and getting the real issues that are affecting people here, health, cost of living, uh, and it helped to start resolving those issues and those huge challenges we as a society face. Okay, Geoffrey Donaldson and the DUP would say it's the Northern Ireland Protocol that's stopping them from doing exactly that, but there is hope uh, on the horizon in terms of the British government at least. Yes, but the, the, the local political parties here are not involved in the negotiations between the British government and the EU. Mm. And those negotiations will continue whether there's an executive or not. So if Jeffrey's intent was to collapse the institutions to either set the pace of or the agenda of those negotiations, that has clearly failed. Mm. But we can resolve... The, the, and there's issues around the protocol which need resolved, but there is jobs being maintained and created in the north as a result of the protocol. Our economy is being bolstered as a result of the protocol. Mm. And there are businesses growing in the north as a result of the protocol. So let's not paint a picture. I'm not suggesting you are, but there's certainly an attempt by the Democratic Unionist parties and others that the protocol is bad. Yeah, well, they they see it as bad. uh, And I think that they probably believe it as bad, uh, not for the reasons that you just went through there, but because of national identity. But when it comes to the... Uh, uh, the uh, approach that's been taken by the DUP, it probably has failed because it does seem as though the British government or, or the Tories are going to sell out the DUP once again. James Cleverly is to meet with Maris Sefcovic again on Monday and reports this week that the negotiating teams on the British side and on the European side could be going into the tunnel, as they call it, uh, this sphere where talks take place uh, and nothing is said outside of those talks. And I don't know what the outcome of the talks will be, but I think you can guarantee that the Tories will act in their own self-interest. And that will not be to the assistance of unionism and will not be the assistance of nationalism. It will be to the Tories' own self-interest. But these talks, while the subject is the protocol, the real heart of these talks between the British government and the EU is the British government re-establishing its relationship with the EU. Because during the, the Boris Johnson era, and the brief interlude of Liz Truss's here, the relationship with the EU was severely damaged, as was the image of the British government on the international 
uh, stage. So what the British government is now trying to do is re-establish a working relationship with the EU for the benefit of the British government. The protocol is a side story to it all. And the people who are suffering as a result then are the constituents in Jeffrey's constituency and my constituency who are facing huge challenges, whether it be around heating, living, cost of living, accessing health care, uh, and stabilising uh, the, the, the political scenario here. So those talks will continue, not in the interest of anybody who lives here, mm. in the interest of a British government whose economy is in serious difficulties and they need to establish a working relationship with the EU to, prove, to help the economy through what it's going through at the moment. And it seems as though there is uh, the prospect of a face-saving exercise for the British government and they'll do a deal. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Northern Ireland is going to leave the European Union in the same way as uh, the rest of the United Kingdom, does it? Well, I, I would hope that the, the EU negotiators have now recognised the importance of the principles of the protocol and that the, the relationships on the island of Ireland are framed under the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, I, I still believe the British government haven't got their heads around that yet, but I do believe that the, the EU have, do and do understand, and in France, the Irish government understands, the relationships across these islands, the importance of the Good Friday Agreement, and the importance of all Ireland trade mm. to the economy across the entire island, uh, and, and the prospects that the protocol brings here. Now, the protocol hasn't been fully exploited in terms of its potential to create jobs and sustain businesses. But for the reason, exa- the exact reason I outlined to you a yeah. second ago, that Northern Ireland yeah. is leaving the European Union in a way that's different to the rest of the United Kingdom, and therein lies that question of identity and the problem that the DUP and others have with it. All of this was explained to the DUP when they supported Brexit, and they didn't only support Brexit, they wanted the hardest possible form of Brexit. When Theresa May many years ago announced that they were leaving the, the single European market and the customs unit, union. I and others pointed out to unionism that that was going to cause pre- huge problems on the island of Ireland, and we were ignored. So time and time again, the DEP has failed to work along with their neighbours here on the island of Ireland. Rather, they were attracted by the bright lights of London and worked with the Tory party and the right wing of the Tory party around Brexit until, once again, they were let down. The protocol had to be introduced because uh, the EU, uh, United States and others recognised the importance of the Good Friday Agreement, recognised the, the, the relationships on the island of Ireland and recognised that the all-Ireland economy is crucial to the well-being of all the people Yeah, it's a pity that politics wasn't simply a question of winning logical arguments, and I'm sure you've won that argument uh, with all of our listeners uh, this morning, logically, uh, but this is politics. Northern Ireland didn't have a government last February. It's certainly not going to have a government this February. Do you think that James Cleverly is going to call an election on Thursday of next week? Well, we remain optimistic and realistic. There is a potential, and as I repeatedly say this, uh, we can form an executive tomorrow. There's one to stop us forming an executive tomorrow. Though the DEP continues to block it up. There may be uh, an, uh, an announcement from the EU British government talks. They, they may bring forward a proposal, uh, and then it's up to the DEP to decide whether they're going back in or not. And that will be the real test for the DEP, because many people believe that while there are concerns around the protocol, 
the real issue for the DUP is that there's going to be a Sinn Féin First Minister mm-hmm. and they can't bring themselves to share power with a Sinn Féin First Minister. So mm-hmm. when the deal between the British government and the EU is announced, that's the big test for the DUP. Mm-hmm. Are, they, are they prepared to honour the outcome of an election, the, the outworkings of the Good Friday Agreement, and are they prepared to work and share power with the rest of us who live in this part of the Which, area. of course, is completely illogical because we're talking uh, uh, about optics here. The Office of First Minister and Deputy First Minister are of equal importance. Uh, so it makes absolutely no difference. But because of the titles, the DUP will be concerned uh, that they'll be seen to be subservient. Well, uh, certainly, we have no intentions of making anyone subservient. They may have that view themselves. But the reality is that the verdict of the electorate has been that Sinn Féin is now the largest party and therefore entitled to occupy the office of First Minister. And in that joint office, as you say, the joint office of First and Deputy First Minister. So that's a question only the DEP will be able to answer once the British government and the EU do their deal, which I hope is sooner uh, rather than later. Mm. Um, and so we, all the excuses are removed. Okay. And we can get back to running government and we can appoint a health minister to deal or, or help deal with the, the, the health crisis. We can appoint an economy minister to promote the protocol mm. and create jobs, sustain businesses and, and create prosperity. For do you believe though that that will happen or do you believe that an election will be called on the 19th or that that will be pushed back and whether uh, there uh, is an election at all, that there will be a government in situ come the 10th of April, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement? Well, under well, the previous legislation, there should have been an election called in October. The British government changed the rulebook again. And it's up to the Secretary of State as to whether he calls an election. But I, I think that this idea that we can continually bypass the electorate is damaging for democracy. The, the People are not simply bystanders and observers to this, they're participants. And if the DEP continues to refuse to enter an executive, then there should be an election. And the people should have their say on the continued DEP DEP boycott of those institutions. As I said earlier, we are optimistic but realistic. There there can and should be fully working institutions of the Great Friday Agreement by the 10th of April. Not simply to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, but to put in place the mechanisms of government, which, while there are, there's huge challenges ahead for the next executive, um, they're there to betterment, for the betterment of the lives of the people we all serve. Okay, uh, until the DUP ends its boycott, British rule continues, or, or rule from Westminster continues. Uh, how long can that endure? It, it can't. Um, uh, it's an affront to the principles of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, and if the DUP continue to sidestep or boycott or whatever term we want to use in terms of its responsibilities, then there's, there's an obligation on the British Irish governments to, through the Intergovernmental Conference to bring in structures which have uh, the ability to govern this place under the principles of the Good Friday Agreement. But the, no, no one wants to reach that stage. We, we want to share power uh, with, with our unionist neighbours, with, with those who are non-aligned or whatever description people want to give to themselves. We want to share power, and there's an ability to share power here for the betterment of all the people. So there are options under the Good Friday Agreement, but the optimum option is the restoration of the institutions. There's a notice on the British government to 
engage seriously with the EU uh, and bring forward a, 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 an agreement, a deal, whatever terminology you want to use. But mm. it's going to be, I can't believe it's a protocol, uh, too, or whatever you want to call it, but the principles of the protocol will remain, um, or have to remain, to ensure the continued smooth running of trade across the island of Ireland. Mm. Uh, and um, when will Sinn Féin uh, call for action? Uh, I, I, I put it to you that that deal uh, looks very likely uh, and it, it looks equally likely that the DUP is continue uh, to remain uh, in this locked-in position that it has uh, adopted and that it's not going to take its seats uh, on the basis of the protocol and, as you say, because it doesn't want to recognise the Sinn Féin First Minister. Uh, at what stage does Sinn Féin say the Good Friday Agreement is not working, the Good Friday Agreement is not working in practice unless there is power sharing? Well, I don't think it's a case of the Good Friday Agreement not working over over uh, various periods over the last 25 years, there has been those people... And it has to be remembered the DUP never, ever endorsed the trade agreement. Stood against it, campaigned against it, and have never endorsed uh, They have been reluctant partners in government over a period of time. And throughout the period of the last 25 years, whether it's in the guise of the British government, whether it's in the guise of anti-agreement unionism, or those who call themselves distant Republicans, there's been attempts to dismantle the Good Friday Agreement. And because of determination between the political parties, uh, a kind, the, the two governments, all those attempts have failed. So let's make sure this attempt on the mind of Good Friday Agreement fails as well. And let's do something that hasn't been fully tried uh, over a sustained period of time. Implement the Good Friday Agreement in full and work through the Good Friday Agreement in its, uh, in its fullest terms. Mm. Uh, the same question remains. I'm not sure if you want to uh, put a, a, a time limit on how long you're going to accept no, I, this situation. I don't situation. think we should put time limits on it. I think, uh, that, I think that would be a mistake. But there is, there is an opportunity now for the British government to bring to an end the, the, the or to bring to a conclusion. It would be a better way of putting it. Bring to a conclusion the talks between the EU and the British government. Mm. There's an opportunity there. The, the messing uh, should stop, or, and hopefully that messing has, but the Boris Johnson era of diplomacy, the Liz Truss era of diplomacy has hopefully come, for, come to an end, and the British government are sitting around the table as a serious, sensible, honest government engaging with the EU. If they're doing that, then those, those discussions can come to an end very quickly. The, the outcome of those discussions should be announced, and then... The, the true intent of the DUP will be revealed. And people can decide then whether it was the protocol, whether it was the Sinn Féin First Minister, whether it was an inability to accept that they're now facing an island and an, uh, uh, in transition. All those things that... that and some of them, those are all, in one way or another, are legitimate concerns. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not dismissing them. Mm. Uh, all of that, but I'm dismissing the concern around the Sinn Féin First Minister. That's a dramatic outcome. But they are... They're concerns of unionism, uh, which one way or another have to be dealt with, have to be engaged with, have to be understood. But there's none of them have the ability or the strength to stop government being formed.
Okay, well, an important week ahead of us next week uh, again uh, as uh, those talks between the British government and the EU uh, continue uh, and hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. They go into that so-called tunnel and there'll be light at the end of it. Uh, We leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Much appreciated. That's uh, John O'Dowd, Sinn Féin MLA for Upper Ban. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, thanks to you if you've been in touch with us uh, this week. I have to say it's been one of uh, those weeks that I don't like where an awful lot of comments came to us and we didn't have enough time on the programme to read out all of those comments and we're going to try to make amends today and come back to those comments. We do read all of the comments and we try to incorporate your thoughts into all of the interviews and make your points known uh, because we hope that all of the interviews are reflective of all of the points that that we can think of. So when you send in comments then uh, that gives us something to think about and we try to incorporate it into the interviews and thanks to everybody who's been in touch. But as I say, uh, we've made a lot of time uh, on the programme today for comments, not just the ones that came to us earlier in the week that we hadn't time to come to, but also... uh, in the hope that we get some today. So if you'd like to comment, our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, we started the week off this week by talking about the 100X bus service to the airport. It goes into Dublin city centre, but uh, it's a very important bus, obviously, because it serves uh, the airport. It goes from Dundalk through Drogheda onto the airport and then into the city centre. Uh, and it's an abysmal service. It's always half an hour late and we discuss how bad it is and why is it diabolical and why can Bus Air not put on uh, a a bus service and run the buses on time uh, in line with the timetable. We got a lot of calls about that, I have to say, and a lot of calls about the 100X, but not just about the 100X. We had somebody in touch with us saying, you're talking about the 100X, uh, but you'd want to be waiting on the town bus. It could be 30 minutes late or it mightn't come at all in Drogheda uh, and thanks to the caller for that Betty Doyle was in touch with us as well when we were talking about the buses about the 102 that serves Bal Doyle Port Marnock and Malahide to the airport and it misses at least half a, a dozen times a day she says uh, and then we had uh, Gavin in Black Rock in touch with us saying uh, that uh, he was listening to that uh, and he had a suggestion about the 168 that's uh, that new service that goes from Drogheda to Clare Head. Uh, why can't it uh, or go into Black Rock? Uh, maybe go in at Sexton's Pub down at the Main Street and, and then out at Greengate. So it would only uh, take 10 minutes, uh, said Gavin in his message, which I thought was very interesting as well because uh, Gavin wasn't the only person talking about the 168. Uh, the Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall, uh, issued a press release uh, this week, disappointed at why the bus is always late, never on time. What is it about the buses in this country? And I was almost afraid to mention it again today in case somebody else called in with another service that is not on time. But sure, why not? Let's gather up all of the complaints, make a list and send them on into Bus Erin and see if it results in any improvement. I'm not saying it will. I'm not sure it will. I don't even think it will. Uh, But it might be an interesting exercise if you want to tell us about your bus service if you're not happy about it. Now, Damien English has resigned, as you know, as a Minister of State. Paddy Duffy was in touch with us yesterday saying, for Christ's sake, that man was in housing and planning in uh, the two uh, 
16 uh, to 20 government. I think it was uh, for a year between 16 and 17 that he uh, had a, a junior ministry in housing. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that, Paddy. We'll be talking about that in some detail in a moment. Another call that came to us about Damien English was from Robbie, who said, well, Michael, another morning of these so-called TDs in and out of government giving uh, out uh, all these TDs do is moan. Uh, another listener said uh, Damien English uh, is uh, a, a good minister. Uh, shame to see him go. Uh, but somebody else said, why are these people allowed to remain in their jobs when they do something like this? Would you be kept in your job if you did something wrong? <laughs> don't ask that question there's an awful lot of people who say I do wrong every day uh, but thank you indeed uh, for that Billy in touch saying like Caleri uh, there's a name we haven't heard for a while uh, and the rest uh, he'll uh, be back in no time uh, in the trough integrity me are said Billy uh, thanks uh, for that Billy and the very strong language well Damien English continues to be a TD of course uh, and uh, there's no change there he's just lost his job as Minister of State uh, another text from somebody about that who said why does Damien English not resign as a TD as well if he's not fit to hold office as a minister how is it he's suitable to hold office as a TD? It's bullshit. Will the house have to be demolished now uh, as it, it wasn't subject to proper planning? Uh, the rules have to be the same for everyone. It's so blatantly obvious that there are special rules for the privileged elected who are in government. Thank you indeed. Some very strong thoughts that came to us uh, about that and everybody's been talking about Damien English over the last couple of days, including uh, the Thornish. Is it? it who's the, I get mixed up these days. Who's the It's Oh yeah, Michal Martin used to be the Taoiseach and he's the Thornish and he's been talking about Damien English. I think he took the right decision in light of uh, the issue that had arisen. Uh, albeit 14 years ago, I think he uh, made his decision uh, himself, from what I understand, and he came to the Taunish or to the Taoiseach and indicated uh, the, the situation. Uh, I think it's very difficult personally for him. I think he's been a, a good minister and he's been a good parliamentarian. Uh, I've known him for quite a number of years. He's, uh, he engages, uh, he's very active, and I think it's a very, it's a very difficult day for him and his family. Uh, but I think he made the right decision in, 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 in the wider sense, uh, given uh, what transpired. That's Michal Martin. I was embarrassed there for a second, not being able to remember if he was the Taoiseach or the Taunish until I heard him a, a little bit mixed up uh, there himself. So uh, so when did the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, hear about this from the Taunish, uh, Leo Vratker? No, um, sorry, I've done it again, haven't I? I've, I have. I've done it again. Let me, let me, let me just... Uh, Recheck that now. Yeah, so when did the Tarnishta, Michal Martin, hear about this from the Taoiseach, Leo Vradker? About uh, 20 past 12 last evening, um, uh, the Tarnishta, sorry, the Taoiseach. <laughs> Look, we all get used to this, so apologies. And we've been doing very well up to now, but uh, uh, the Taoiseach contacted me um, uh, when, when, uh, to, to, to let me know what had happened and that. Uh, Damon English had contacted him, spoken to him, and uh, had offered his resignation, which the Taoiseach accepted. So, um, and uh, I think that there is an obligation on, on, on politicians, you know, in terms of issues like this, to, uh, to, to in, in terms of declarations and so on, to make make that very clear. Right, uh, that's Michal Martin speaking about the resignation of uh, Damien English and uh, I suppose uh, to be safe, all we'll say is Michal Martin is a very important person. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just on uh, that uh, subject of uh, Damien English resigning as a uh, Minister of State, he's giving up a, a job worth €141,657 a year, plus expenses, of course. Uh, but uh, don't be too concerned uh, for Mr English uh, because he'll continue as a TD a uh, job which commands a salary of 105,271 euro. Let's speak to our political correspondent Sean Defoe. A very good morning to you Sean and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, do you believe uh, that Damien English will continue as a TD? I think he probably will. Certainly all the indications from both the Taoiseach and the Tornish yesterday is that they're not going to seek any further sanction. And even the initial reaction from Mary Lou McDonald's while saying that she did the right thing in stepping down and there needs to be perfect scrutiny of government politicians wasn't going any further than, you know, to call for his resignation as a deputy because that had come into question yesterday. There were a lot of people asking, well, look, if this is the behaviour unbecoming of a minister and a minister who served in the Department of Housing for four years, no less, why is it not unbecoming behaviour of a TD as well, even led the council on, on the property holdings that he had when he submitted his application and the result might have been different had he not done that and I'm sure there are probably people listening and maybe texting into you certainly people across the country who have played fair game in the planning system and have had planning permissions particularly in rural Ireland refused as a result who'd say well if there's one standard for one why is there one standard for the other but both uh, the Tornish and the Taoiseach were asked yesterday do they believe that Damien English should step down as a TD and both effectively said no that he had paid the political price now by resigning as a, a minister and that's sort of where they leave it. Leo Varadka very much just trying to kick for touch with this, saying that it would be up to Mead County Council or the local authority involved, basically, to uh, commence any sort of investigation if they wanted to. Uh, now, from what I understand, they, they can't do that because of the statute of limitations, but that's what he said. Eventually, after being pressed several times through mm. questions, Varadkar said he would seek legal advice on whether any law was broken here in actually misleading. He said he didn't know uh, offhand whether it was because he's not an expert in planning law, but he would look for that. But you, you suspect it is not something he's going to pursue uh, with a great deal of vigour. Okay, you said uh, you think Damien English misled Meath County Council. We haven't heard from Damien English since his resignation on that video on Twitter. Uh, And uh, it seems to be the case that either he misled Meath County Council or he had forgotten that uh, he was the owner of uh, this particular house uh, that he uh, omitted from his application. Yeah, and look, as you say, we haven't heard from him yet as to the more details or all that he said was that the form wasn't correct when he filled it out, non-review, and that he, he admitted that and they, that it should, it should have been correct. It wasn't up to the standards of someone who holds office and, of course, went to the, the Taoiseach to say that he felt his own position was untenable, which would sort of lead you to believe that maybe, you know, maybe it is former that he did, in fact, uh, mislead the council on it. Look, yeah. that, that's my it, word. It's impossible word, to yeah, think that he had forgotten that he owned a house, isn't it? I mean, look, it, it's very hard to think. You know, you remember buying a house. We all remember buying our first house. He's one of his name at that stage. You know, it, it's not something that you forget, even if perhaps you were living there with his parents. I don't know the circumstances of what the living arrangements mm. were at that time, so I'm not going to go and... And that is another question that the minister is going to have to answer, this question about uh, how long he and his family spent living with his parents. Mm, and, and living in that home, what, what they're doing with the home now, and whether or not it's vacant or not, because of course, remember the first story that came out around this was in relation to SIPO declarations, uh, and the fact that the property hadn't been de- uh, declared on his SIPO returns, so what he said in response to that was that the property was in family use, not in any other use, and not in certainly commercial uses, and, and it wasn't being rented out, or it wasn't providing an income for it, which would mean it was exempt from the SIPO declarations. But look, there's an awful lot of questions here that weren't 
necessarily addressed in Damien English's first statement and I think are still going to have to be addressed because there is a wider question for the government now over how its TDs handle their housing affairs. This mm. is the second minister to go in the space of six months, Robert Troy obviously being the first, both of those revelations made in the Ditch website after they went back through their different housing records and certainly at a time when so many people are struggling to get housing, are struggling to get on the housing ladder and are understandably angry at the government to see this sort of repeated, uh, you know, at best, yeah. lackadaisical attitude towards their housing affairs um, is kind of galling for people. Yeah, well, I can understand uh, people uh, who don't have somewhere to live or are finding it difficult to stay in their accommodation, wondering how a property could be left lying vacant for so long or if the minister actually forgot, the former minister actually forgot that he had that house or, or what had happened. Uh, is it a case of him being caught red-handed? And if the statute of limitations didn't uh, apply, uh, if uh, Meath County Council was able to question this legally in a circumstance like that where you'd um, wrongly filled out the application form for your new house, is it possible that the new house would have been demolished? This is one of those questions that comes up a lot when you get into to planning law because, of course, you see it, it. It's not an uncommon occurrence that things get built without planning, usually extensions to different homes, and, and there is a facility then where people can apply for retention after the fact, and you do get people, uh, you know, finding that maybe it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission in a case where they don't think they can get it. That's a fairly common feature of the planning system. You get into this case then, but I don't necessarily think it serves anyone by demolishing it after the fact, particularly when we're in the midst of a housing crisis. But it is a very open question. If you build something without planning permission that wasn't there to be built, should it be taken back? I think it sort of exposes a bit of a hole in our planning laws there for a long time, totally unrelated to gaming industry, that certainly needs to be addressed. And one that to play the counterpoint on it as well, a lot of people in rural Ireland find the planning rules are very one-off housing incredibly frustrating. There's a lot of people who have not been able to build in the place where they're from, be it in the field next to the family mm. home, uh, you know, a field they might have got from parents on a farm or, for example, haven't been able to get their planning permissions. And maybe where their frustration with this case will come back in is they played by the book and didn't get their permissions where it looks like Damien English didn't play by the book and did get what he wanted. OK, uh, and uh, made the application under... That exemption, uh, which would allow housing to be built for local needs uh, because he's from the locality, uh, but wouldn't have qualified because he already had a, an existing house. Uh, but uh, because he omitted that, was able to go ahead and build this house. Uh, a lot of people will be very interested to hear what the minister has to say about all of this uh, when he, he does uh, eventually uh, make a, a public appearance and make some public comment on it. Uh, it's Neil Richmond, I think, who's being tipped to, to replace him at this stage, is it? Seems to be the favourite. The two names that I'm hearing are Finnegan and Neil Richmond and Joe Clary. They were both names that were thrown around when there was the cabinet reshuffle less than less than a month ago, really, a reshuffle of the junior ministers. I suppose Richmond has seen something of a, a rising force within the party, had been very strong with their European affairs spokesman and got a call, indeed, from the Taoiseach to tell him that he wasn't being appointed, such as the theme that he, he, he sort of holds them in. And usually people who are overlooked don't get that sort of courtesy. So certainly he would be the favourite. But then others thinking about maybe geography and Finnegan needing a bit more of a presence. In the west of Ireland, looking at someone like Joe Carey, who's been a, a TD for sort of 20 years, I would imagine the promotion of, of Kieran O'Donnell from Limerick might be a mark against 
Joe Carey because you know he, they have that geographic thing sorted. So Neil Richmond is certainly the favourite, but we should know potentially by the end of the week. Uh, if not very early next week, senior ministerial appointments okay. do require cabinet approval, so it might be one they say so uh, next okay. Wednesday when cabinet is. I imagine whoever it is uh, will be asked to reassure the Taoiseach uh, that everything is ordered, that they've declared all of uh, their interests and they're in line with ethics legislation, but there's not going to be an audit of cabinet ministers or indeed junior ministers for that matter, let alone all TDs in the House. No, definitely not. And and this is something that was asked yesterday. They're they're not going to audit to sort of expect that. And I think the Tonis said it rightly, you know, they expect TDs to be on top of their own affairs and to be reviewing their own affairs and to act with a a certain degree of ethics and and decorum when they are going about their business. But it's one that's kind of coming up again and again. You know, there was a a pledge that Fine Gael made their TD sign or made their candidates ahead of an election sign in the wake of the whole Maria Bailey affair to basically say that there are no skeletons in the closet when you run for election for the party. Since then, obviously, we've had the issues around Robert Troy, we had the whole Gulf Gate scenario, so more ministers resigning and now Damien English as well so uh, how you know, how do you uh, go and audit your ministers and say, come here, is there anything else in the closet here? I don't think they're exactly going to be throwing the hands up lest it be it's found out but uh, they, I, I imagine all ministers will be, and all TDs even, will be looking to their affairs and going, God, is there anything else that may come out here about me? Okay. Well, I'm sure our our listeners uh, will let us know if they have any questions uh, for the Minister as well. Uh, We hope uh, that he will have uh, some time in his schedule available to speak to LMFM next week. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Sean Defoe was our political correspondent. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. By the way, thanks uh, to the WhatsApper. Uh, is that a, a word, a WhatsApper? <laughs> um, thank you if you were the person who sent us in a WhatsApp message uh, uh, to say that the 167 bus Dundalk to Mullingar is a top-class service. Great. Glad to hear that. Uh, Glad to hear about uh, bus services, whether they're good or otherwise, uh, for that matter. Do let us know. Uh, A number of people in touch with us this morning about the resignation of uh, Damien English as a, a Minister of State, saying... Uh, they're all incompetent in the doll. Uh, is this another Leo? That's uh, John in Navin. Thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, John. Paddy Duffy says the definition of ethics, moral principles that govern a person's behaviour or the conducting of an activity. So ask yourself if Damien English has behaved ethically. All right, we'll read it again, Paddy. I take it you take you got this out of uh, a dictionary. Uh, the definition of ethics: moral principles that govern a person's behaviour or the conducting of an activity. Uh, did Damien English live up to that definition? I think is what Paddy Duffy is asking all of us to ask ourselves. John, thank you for your message. He says, what about all of the houses that don't have planning permission at all? They never had it. Uh, And there's many of them as well in Damien's local area, says John. Desi is in Balbriggan and he says, I wonder would Damien English ever have had, uh, would he ever have had suddenly uh, remembered he had made a false declaration if the website Ditch did not bring it to the attention of the public? Um. I can't answer that. Uh, there's only one person I think who can answer that. Uh, but thanks, uh, Desi, for answering, asking that question. It's a very interesting question uh, and one uh, that we hope to be able to ask the former minister at some stage. Uh, uh, another text comes to us uh, from a Navin listener who says, Michael, it seems Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are content to allow someone 
who has not been honest in making a planning application, in other words, Damien English, to stay on in politics, to remain in Fine Gael, to remain on the government backbenches. Hopefully those who voted for him in the past won't make the same mistake again. How did he get away with this for eight years, says our Navin listener. Thank you again for um, asking that question. Uh, and uh, they're all very pertinent questions and it's great to be getting them. Uh, we hope, uh, I don't know, uh, Damien English is a local TD. Uh, we hope that he'll be speaking to his local radio station next week. You can understand uh, that uh, the minister, former minister has gone to ground. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Uh, and isn't speaking to us today or yesterday or anybody else for that matter, despite our repeated uh, requests uh, to Damien English uh, to discuss this issue with us on the programme. Maybe next week. I don't know. I can't speak because we've no indication one way or another. Uh, I did say that we're trying to catch up on calls and we're also asking you to call us uh, because uh, we've had so many calls this week uh, that we didn't allow time for them, not expecting so many calls to come. So we're uh, allowing a lot of time on the programme today for comments. And if you want to add to what's been said, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. That's 86 086- one eight hundred six five eight. If you want to send us a text message or email Michael at LMFM.ie. Now, one of the big talking points on our phone lines this week has been the control of dogs, roaming dogs, uh, dogs attacking sheep, worrying sheep, killing sheep, and indeed people. And that little boy in uh, Kildare, wasn't it? Um, uh, Wexford, sorry, in Enniscorthy. Uh, and we had a lot of calls uh, to the programme yesterday about that. We were speaking with Michael Fitzmaurice, TD, on the programme about this yesterday. Paddy was one of the people in touch with us. And Paddy says, it's not just big dogs that we need to legislate for. Any dog can turn vicious. 
That's uh, what Michael Fitzmaurice was saying, uh, and it is a, a, an interesting point. I suppose uh, what we're wondering is if the so-called dangerous breeds, who are more dangerous uh, apparently than the other breeds, uh, will be barred or banned altogether, which was uh, what the Taoiseach seemed to be implying uh, a couple of months ago. But Paddy says all dogs can turn vicious, and he says he knows a young boy who had a dog. The boy adored this dog, uh, and he used to go everywhere with him. Then one day... The dog turned around out of nowhere and attacked the boy. We all need to be careful of dogs, he says. Good advice, Paddy. Thank you for that. Uh, Philip tells us he reported a vicious dog to the guards, but the owner is still out walking the dog, no muzzle on it. So what are you supposed to do in cases like this when you follow the rules but no action is taken? Thanks uh, for that, uh, Philip. Uh, I'm surprised the guards didn't direct you to the county council. I think it's the dog warden uh, that you would ordinarily be reporting dogs to. And I think, ordinarily speaking, the dog wardens are very receptive when they get a a call from the public who have concerns uh, about dogs. Thank you uh, for that uh, as well, Philip. Uh, Some other calls that came to us uh, about dogs on the programme yesterday. Somebody said we have two dogs wearing collars, and we have one of these wires all around the house trying to keep them in. But over the last three days, we've had to chase sheep out of our yard due to a heedless farmer. Where would we stand if our dogs attacked the sheep who came in? God, that's the second time this week. I I don't know if uh, that's... uh um, Marie, I, I can't remember, um, but from Dunsany, who told us she'd about 50 sheep, 30 to 50 sheep in her garden in Dunsany. But if not, it's the second time uh, we're hearing this week of sheep roaming into somebody's garden. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that would be the farmer's fault, uh, and nobody could blame you if your dogs attacked sheep on your land, uh, especially when they're locked up like that. Uh, kept in with the wire. Uh, Somebody else saying, I can't understand why these people have big dogs. Why do they need these big dogs? Why have the dogs in houses with children? Uh, if you're a big, if they're big dogs, that's Tom and Kells. Thanks, Tom. Uh, another text uh, from somebody who says, Michael, there's a a, a group uh, and the amount of dogs on it missing is so uh, disgusting. Um, uh, they should never own a dog. Uh, have a terrible attitude you treat a dog like a child you care for them and make sure that they're under control the owners are morons I I see it on my walks every day another text then from somebody uh, who says uh, that uh, there's been a lot of sheep kills uh, and they go unnoticed they're not reported and there could be uh, people uh, who uh, have motivation for allowing this to happen uh, and they're encouraging their dogs to attack sheep. Mick and Kel says, uh, there are two dogs that I would trust, a dead dog and a dog with no teeth. <laughs> Thank you indeed, uh, Mick. Uh, I did uh, laugh at that when I read that yesterday as well. Uh, there are just some of the calls uh, that uh, we got on dog control this week. That's one of the subjects uh, and, and some very interesting calls. I hope you agree and uh, I think it's uh, worth giving the time over to make up for the last time that we had on the programme this week. All right, uh, as I say, we're hoping uh, to hear from as many people as possible today. If you'd like uh, to make comment on the programme, we would love to hear from you. Uh, I, I, I called yesterday, a text yesterday, uh, from somebody who says, uh, why don't you open up your phone lines for members of the public to ring into the show? And then we could hear their views 
ordinary people's views on things. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that text message. Our phone lines are open. If you want to come on to the programme, uh, you're more than welcome to come on to the programme. Uh, we might ask you what it is you want to say and make sure that you're not going to libel anybody or get us into trouble or anything like that. But uh, we'd love uh, to do exactly that. Uh, people can be a little bit hesitant about coming on the radio, and I think I can understand why. But if, if you want to come on to the programme, uh, you're more than welcome. And indeed, we're going to hear from somebody who called into the programme yesterday in just a few minutes' time. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, another text message uh, that uh, has come to us uh, this morning uh, following on uh, from uh, some of the interviews we did with new residents in Termin Fecken who are now living in uh, the triple house from uh, a local person, somebody who lives in Termin Fecken. I take it says, very good and informative visit yesterday to the triple house. Thank you for putting local people's minds at ease. Uh, there's been a lot of upset in Terman Fecken over the course of uh, the last week and uh, our programme uh, dispelled a lot of that fear uh, because nobody had been forthcoming up to yesterday with reassurance when the men there were already assessed by the appropriate measures, leaving people's fears to run riot on an internet page. I hope they all settle in well now, says this local person in Terman Fecken. Got to tell you, actually, I was in Terman Fecken again, yes, I called out uh, for a different reason, um, uh, a very, very positive reason, which I'm hoping uh, to be able to share with you in the coming days. Hopefully next week I'll be able to bring this news to you um, and won't go into it now, but but I was there for for that reason. Uh, But when I was there, I uh, saw a local person who had also dropped into the Triple House after hearing the radio programme yesterday uh, with golf clubs. I think it was just one golf club and a few balls and one of these little holes. If you're a golfer, you'll know the type of steel things that you can practice putt into uh, uh, as a hole. Oh, my God, you'd want to see the fellas. My God, this was something for them to do. And a ring board so that they could play rings. Imagine, you know, because they're sitting there and they've absolutely nothing to do. Um, they're hearing about uh, some ill feeling as well. They were delighted to see some local people come in and visit them. Uh, the local people, uh, uh, afterwards, told me they were delighted that they went in. They felt an awful lot better after speaking to the chaps in there. They're all just ordinary blokes um, uh, who are a long, long way from home with nothing to do uh, and are hoping uh, for something to do. I saw somebody bring in some clothes. My God, they were very interested to see if they could get a change of clothes as well. Uh, It's just a a little bit about the condition uh, of people who have fled from terrible situations from all corners of the world, not just from Ukraine, but from all corners of the world. They've come here seeking international protection from terrible, terrible things. Uh, We've had a a lot of discussion on the programme this week about it. And uh, as I've been saying, Uh, We're trying to make up on some of the comments that came to us uh, during the week by bringing them to you today. We didn't get time to do it during the week. Uh, And we had that call earlier, that text I read to you earlier from somebody saying, why don't you bring callers on the air? Uh, People uh, who are listening to the programme, if they ring in, why don't you bring them on? Let us hear them. Uh, Well, Carrie uh, was on the phone to us yesterday. Uh, Carrie is in studio, actually, after uh, calling us yesterday uh, because we called her and said, do you want to come on the programme? She said, yeah, sure, I'll drop in. And we said, we'll have the kettle on. (laughs) (laughs) Literally brought the caller in. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming in to us, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Uh, And you're very interested in uh, this attitude or the different attitudes, probably more accurately put towards immigrants in this country these days. 
Well, yes, I suppose you could hear from my accent that uh, I'm an immigrant myself. Have you been vetted? <laughs> no, actually, no, I've never been vetted. <laughs> but I am an Irish citizen. I did obtain my Irish citizenship uh, decades ago. I've mm. been here 23 years. I have two children that are born and raised uh, in Ireland. And uh, my daughter's going to Trinity. And, you know, I'm very proud, actually, to be in Ireland, to be Irish. Um, I love this country. Mm. And I come from America, and my heart has been broken over what's happened to my country in the last decade and i am heart scared of it happening here in you're Ireland. drawing parallels between what you've seen happen in the united states with uh, the rise of uh, the right wing and what is beginning to happen here now yes because it's a, it's it's not an isolated rise these people work together they are funded together they are part of uh, the same movement the global far right uh, the people in Ireland were meeting with the people that were just arrested in Germany for far-right activities. That's right. Um, uh, one of these groups had invited uh, one of uh, these known Nazis mm-hmm. who tried to overthrow the German government. Yes. Uh, that person is now in jail. Uh, they were in Dublin not so long ago addressing a meeting of one of those yes. groups. Yes. Mm. Uh, Nigel Farage, Herman Kelly, good buddies. Herman Kelly trying to recreate Brexit here. Dad idea, but there you go. Um, Steve Bannon, they're all tied together. They're all funded from the same pool. They're all drawing from the same well of hatred, division, and destruction. Mm. And Same pool as Donald Trump. Yes, and the most important pool they're drawing from is grift. Mm. They want money, and they want power, and they'll sell you anything to get it. Mm. And they have found that hate and anger and division makes them a lot of money. Mm. And they make reasonable arguments, don't they? You know, I mean, that's the way it appears on the face of it. I mean, when you hear some of uh, these groups, uh, and I'm not talking about any of the individuals uh, you named there, I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but Mm -hmm. there are a number of groups who make arguments against immigrants. And the first thing they say is, we're not against genuine refugees. Well, that's your first clue that they are. Mm. (laughs) It's, It's like... Uh, Maya Angelou used to say, I don't want to offend you, but, well, if you don't want to offend me... Stop right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, And you can apply that same logic to, I'm not racist, but, well, actually, you're about to be racist, mm. so you are. Mm. Um, yes, they piggyback on a lot of um, uh, arguments or, you know, plausible scenarios. Mm. To It's insidious. It's mm. designed to get you to go, well, that makes sense. Mm. And then that leads yeah. you to thinking the next thing makes where, sense. Where, where would you get it? You couldn't make it up. These are turns of phrases that are used all the time. Yeah. And they're appealing yeah. to your logic and to your common sense to look at something and say, well, right, maybe they do have an argument. Well, they're appealing to your emotion. Yeah. Mm. And I actually was talking to my son the other day about this because, you know, he listens to Joe Rogan and mm. um, that leads to other mm. interesting that's characters. It's a, a big internet. Yeah, it's very popular with yeah. teenagers, teenage boys, and yeah. I'm trying yeah. to teach him to think critically. And one of the main things is if you have an emotional reaction to what you're seeing online or what you're reading, that is a good indicator that what you're seeing is propaganda. Mm. If it makes you angry, if it makes you upset, if it really gets you going, Mm. that's propaganda. If if it makes you think, I hope nobody thinks I'm stupid. Yep. 
Because it, that, and that seems to be the approach where they say, you couldn't make it up. Uh, where, where where would you get this? Uh, who'd believe this? Yes. And you're going, uh, well, um, I did actually believe it up to a few minutes ago, but now I'm not going to be that stupid. Yeah, if mm, it divides mm. you into an us and a yeah. them, mm, mm. and you want to be part of the us because you don't mm. want to be isolated, you yeah. don't want to be made fun of, whatever, mm. that's propaganda. Did you see um, yesterday uh, that one uh, member of one of these groups uh, tried to burn down or will threaten to burn down a hotel? yes. And the residents in it. Yes. Under the banner of Ireland for the Irish, Ireland is full. Uh, Irish lives matter. This is a new one I I saw this morning. Uh, And the Irish flag, the national flag, the tricolour. So let's destroy Irish jobs and Irish livelihoods Mm. and Irish people that are working in these places, Mm. as well as the immigrants. Let's kill them. Yeah, let's kill them. Well, it's not the first time that they have firebombed facilities with Uh, immigrants in them and that also needs to be highlighted far more these are Mm. dangerous people and uh those of us that were uh, in town on the saturday that they showed up noticed that the men that were at the fringes you know i'm concerned about the safety in this area just back up a a little bit uh, because uh, you're talking about what happened in drogheda last saturday yes uh, and uh, we did. I uh, was speaking with um, Lucky Cambulay uh, on uh, Wednesday's program. I think it was one of the days during the week, and we heard some of uh, the chants from a counter-protest, racist scum off our streets. Uh, you were one of uh, the people who participated in that counter-protest. Uh, there was a, a protest against the refugees I- I- in Drogheda. Yes, I felt extremely strongly that it was important, and and my duty as a citizen that lives here to stand up, um, even if I was the only person there with my little wee sign, just to show that this was not acceptable by everybody. These people do not speak for me. You know, I thought mm-hmm. it was really important to be down there, and I was glad that there were a lot of other people that also there thought... There were a lot of youngsters down there. I was really, really encouraged by the amount of young yes, people I saw. fair play to those mm-hmm. teenagers. Yeah. Uh, they were wonderful, and it gives you hope for the future. And funny enough, uh, they're still... The Irish Freedom Party people are still kind of smarting over the humiliation that they suffered in Drada, and one of them was mentioning the other night that young people were yelling at the old men and women, you know, and kind of doesn't get it that they are representing something that is a relic, you know, <laughs> and that's why they're full of old men and women yeah. that are getting yelled at by the youth of today who are absolutely rejecting it. You know, racism and that kind of thinking, that kind of division and hate has no place Mm. in contemporary Ireland, thankfully. You know, and Ireland is a remarkable country. Mm. We have it so good here. And a lot of times, I think, with all of the negativity over the problems that we do have that do need to be addressed, Mm. but we we kind of forget that this is a really good place to be. We have a small democracy that functions very well. We have services and security and peace Mm. and never underestimate the value of the peace and the stability that we have in this nation. And it's worth Mm. fighting to protect it. Incidentally, uh, just I asked you a few moments ago uh, Mm. when you sat down, are you vetted? Uh, because the reason I asked you that it was half tongue in cheek uh, but it's one of the things that we hear all of the time Um, are these people vetted? Uh, I just would like to suggest to all of our listeners uh, this morning the next time somebody uh, says that um, ask them 
uh, if they'd like to reveal their past, uh, if uh, they've ever been charged with anything, mm-hmm. if they've ever been prosecuted for mm-hmm. anything, if they've ever spent any time in prison. Uh, because I think you'll find that some of the people, uh, because I have found that some of the people who are asking, uh, who are these people coming over here and they're not vetted, that a lot of them uh, have criminal backgrounds. Where are your papers? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what that question is, yeah. and mm. uh, and that's exactly where it's coming from too historically. Yeah. But on the vetting question, mm. this is where thinking critically comes in, mm. because if you think critically about that, when they say, "Are these people that are being housed in mm. the refugee centers vetted?" How do they think that these those people are placed there mm. because they have been processed and vetted? Mm. You know, maybe not traditional quote-unquote Garda vetted in the way that volunteers for organizations would know yeah. it. Yeah. But they have been processed through the system and the government and the and the people running these centers know exactly who is who and where they are. Hmm. So it's a ridiculous question on the face of it when you deconstruct it and okay. think critically. It's not perfect, though. No, the whole thing is a shambles. The war and Ukraine. Uh, horrible. 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 Uh, the idea that 70,000 people come into this country within the space of a, a year is ridiculous in actual fact. It's a huge challenge. It's a tactic, too, deliberately done by the Russians mm. in order to put pressure on Europe yeah. to break the alliance. But the point is, it is putting pressure o- yes. on Europe. And it yes. is putting pressure on this country, yes. uh, as are the other uh, asylum seekers uh, and the amount of yes. people who are seeking protection yes. in this country. Uh, it is not perfect. Uh, it's not perfect either uh, for large groups of men to be provided with accommodation uh, in one setting. Uh, mm-hmm. term, in fact, a good example, small village, small sleepy village, 42 men arrive uh, uh, and it's understandable that people have questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I think it's only right and reasonable that people have questions and they ask those questions and that those questions are addressed as best they can and that the situation is improved, not just for the people in those places, but for the men themselves or the men and women who come here. Well, surely, as as a mother, Mm. one of the ways that I would look at it is how would I want my son to be treated? Were he were were he needed to flee flee mm. to another country for mm. whatever reason, yeah. you know, um, or he just ended up on the shores of somewhere far away? How mm. would I want my son to be treated? Yeah. That would be one question I would. Well, I know be mo- I, I, I'd be surprised if I'm wrong, but I, I think most of the mothers listening to us uh, this morning would tell you that if they were in Ukraine, for example, and yes. just one example, uh, or Afghanistan, any of these places, uh, would they want their young men? who we'd all call boys, but mm-hmm. they're men in the eyes of the law because they're seen as adults. But we, do we want our young boys to stay and fight and die or do we want to get them out of here? Oh, yeah, we want to get them out of here. We want to protect our children. We want them to have a good life. We want them to have a better life than what we have. So, And a lot of times what you do, especially say if you're an older person and you have a, a, a you know young, healthy son, you send him out. Because he is capable of surviving that. And then, you know, your hope is that he will lead the way for you. Mm. And I know the Irish know that. I know they know that from experience. And it's still in living memory, you know, that Mm -hmm. that's that's what was done. So 
the first question that I would have is how would I want my son to be treated? Hmm. And then the second question is, yes, they're all reasonable. You know, how is this being conducted? It is a shambles the way that the government's handling yeah. it. They get it's some, an emergency, though. They get some leeway hmm. because it is unprecedented numbers. They weren't prepared for it. And, you know, they're hmm. doing hopefully the best that they can mm. could they do it better yeah. absolutely and hopefully in time they will you know yeah. hopefully this is a temporary situation yes and, and, a, and a better it, solution will be found in time yes mm. because living in you know what looks like the huts of long cash mm. <laughs> on mm. the Tonor road mm. it's not a permanent situation yeah. or, or uh, uh, sleeping in tents no, uh, no. Or, or on the streets. No. Uh, there's 14,000 people in hotels. Uh, the hotels are, are not going to continue with that situation when we get into no. March and April. And ultimately, if people are going to stay in this country, you want them to integrate into mm. the country. Mm. You don't want to have a segregated society and you don't want Ireland to fragment into different little communities. Mm. Everybody should be integrating together. Mm. You know, uh, But when you don't know who's there uh, and... You know, they're out of sight, but not out of mind uh, because they've suddenly arrived into your neighborhood. You're hearing Chinese whispers mm-hmm. uh, uh, and one thing leads to another. Somebody's stoking it up on the Internet, telling you uh, that somebody's come from somewhere that instead of going to prison <laughs> or being locked up in a, a guard cell because they stabbed somebody, they'd be moved in there secretly. Uh, you, you start to wonder. By the way, I just want to tell you, um, Carrie, that uh, Jerry Brady in Clongill, Wilkinson says that lady you're talking to was a breath of fresh air, and I'm delighted to have the chance to listen to her this morning. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Jared. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you about um, that exact scenario that I, I outlined a, a moment ago. Uh, it was wonderful to see um, some locals in Terminal Fecken yesterday go in with golf clubs and mm-hmm. ring boards and clothes and, mm-hmm. and, and, and walk out feeling very differently than they did a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and thought, God, these are our new neighbours and they're nice guys. Um, we did a text that came in to us yesterday. I thought it was one of the best suggestions I, I've ever heard anywhere from a listener who said, whenever this happens, there should be a meet and greet organised uh, that uh, the community should be invited to a place to meet with the new residents and take the fear and the mystique and all of these things that people are afraid of out of it. What do you think of that? I think that'd be great. I think mm. that there should be a welcoming committee organised um, and that should be not just there to as a one-off welcoming committee. And I know that there's communities around Ireland that are doing this where there is a group of people that are working together, working with the new arrivals, teaching them how to access what they need to access, where things are, how the society works, and, and you know, bringing everybody together to integrate. And I think what would be a great idea, draw it as great for festivals, mm. why don't we have a cultural festival mm-hmm. that involves the refugees, mm. that involves the immigrants that are already here? We have a large immigrant community in, in Drada. You know, wouldn't that be great if, like, every summer mm. we had an international festival in Drada that celebrated all the people that are here? Mm. You know, and working together to create this is a way that we could integrate mm. and get to know each other and yeah. treat each other as the neighbors that we are. Okay, so long as they don't want to vet me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> no, it might sound funny, but I'm not joking. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I'm going to have to uh, go to a break and all of that. Is there anything else you want to say to us before? Just you? thank mm-hmm. you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, part of why I ended up here today is because 
what you're doing and highlighting this and speaking uh, honestly about it, calling things what they are, um, and then going out and getting the information from the actual sources, whether they're the refugees themselves or the people running the centers or government figures, is so important because on the internet there's a free run by these people who half of them are trolls and bots and don't even exist in the first place. Mm. It's so important what you're doing, and I want to thank you very oh, much. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you indeed uh, for for your call uh, and uh, for accepting your invitation uh, to come onto the program and then taking all the bother to come in and see us. And <laughs> thank <laughs> no you bother, indeed. thank Lo- you. And lovely to meet you. Thank you indeed. Uh, that is Carrie McIntyre. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the program, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, John in Navin texting us uh, this morning saying, Mike, was Damien English and his missus so desperate for a house uh, that they had to lie about not owning one already? That's a, an interesting way to put it. It's the way the Irish Independent is putting it, by the way, John. Um, uh, they're describing it as a lie. It was either a lie or an oversight, or they forgot that they owned a house that they owned, or they ticked a box without realising they had ticked the box, uh, because it asks you very specifically that question, uh, and they would have declared that they didn't have a, another house. So uh, that's one of the questions I'm sure that the Minister will answer, and I'm sure that it won't turn out to be uh, a lie, but uh, thanks uh, for that. Uh, Paddy Duffy in touch with us saying there's only one race on this planet, that's the human race. And he also asked us yesterday, would you consider naming and shaming these far right wing persons or words to that effect? Uh, He said it would be useful to the rest of us. Uh, There's a problem, Paddy, when you name them. Um, They demand a right to reply, unlike the Internet because we're regulated and there's rules and laws and things like that and that we have to be fair to everybody. Uh, You get a right to reply if you name somebody. Uh, uh, And then they sue you. (laughs) And and it takes an awful lot of time. They sue you unsuccessfully, uh, but you have to spend an awful lot of time with lawyers and filling out legal form and really it's just too much bother Paddy um, maybe we should go on the internet uh, and name and shame people uh, and do it uh, in a way where there's no regulations and all that kind of thing and you can make up things and tell lies uh, but I'm not sure uh, that that's what people want but thank you indeed uh, as always uh, for your message uh, to the programme um, we would uh, another text this morning then uh, about dogs uh, and uh, there, it should be how the job of uh, the guardie. If you have a dog, uh, it doesn't have to be a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd. Uh, they'll they do the job of guardie. They deter intruders, uh, says our, our listeners, uh, our listener. Bigger pardon. Uh, and yes, the bigger the dog, the more you deter uh, criminals or would be criminals. A dog is generally made wicked. Uh, as you know, most robberies are opportunistic and any animal can bite. Even a horse will bite or kick you if you're not careful. Does that mean that we ban them as well? Thank you indeed uh, for that uh, and uh, for your text to the programme today. Uh, some other messages um, from uh, our, our listeners uh, that came in over the course of uh, the week. Uh, somebody uh, in touch saying uh, Michael Fitzmaurice, uh, who spoke about dogs, uh, should be 
on the uh, should stay in politics for as long as he can uh, comes across with such empathy uh, and uh, gives people a belief in democracy. Thank you, Margaret, a regular texter of the programme. It's great to be catching up on these messages and we'll give more time on the programme to messages if we get more messages. Uh, and that's the problem. You, you, you find uh, sometimes that uh, you leave time in the programme for messages and you don't get the calls. But uh, thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us this week. Keep it in mind today. Keep it in mind on Monday and all of next week and into the future. We would love to hear from you. Our telephone number, it really makes it all the more interesting to be getting all of these different opinions. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you've ever wondered uh, why there's a homeless problem, uh, you've probably asked yourself, why don't people just rent somewhere to live? Uh, I mean, you can get rent allowance or housing assistance or whatever it's called these days uh, if you're unemployed uh, and uh, the government will pay for your rent. Uh, well, there's uh, an answer to that uh, which uh, comes to us today once again from uh, the Simon Communities. In December... There were 757 properties available to rent at any price. This is from uh, the Simon Community's Locked Out of the Market report. But out of the 757 properties that were advertised, uh, just 41 of them uh, came under uh, what you would receive under the housing assistant payment. Uh, let's speak now uh, to Wayne Stanley, who's uh, the executive uh, director of uh, the Simon Communities. And a very good morning to you, Wayne, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, it's even worse than that, isn't it? Uh, when you think of uh, the 41 places that were available to rent to HAP tenants out of the 757 uh, 40 of the 41 uh, were discretionary HAP tenants. Yeah, so we, so if you were to look at the sort of the basic rate of, of HAP, um, I think there was only one property, there was only in fact one property available within that. And then there was an additional 40 if, if the local authorities were to avail of the full discretion that's available to them. And in the Dublin region, that's uh, an increase of 50%. Um, and outside of Dublin, it's an increase of up to 35%. So really what we're looking at here is uh, just uh, really what we're looking at is a is a, a private rental market that isn't available to people who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness or indeed beyond that isn't really available to people on low incomes unless they have the capacity to top up that uh, that payment and uh, that is why we're still seeing some move on into the private rental market where people are kind of stretching themselves. But we have real concerns that that isn't sustainable because people on low incomes can't afford to be paying an additional uh, couple of hundred euros a month on top of the rent, the sort of contribution they make to the rent to the local authority. Okay, for the purpose of your report, you've looked at what was available in Cork, in Dublin, Kildare, Leitrim, Limerick, Sligo, Portlaoise, Waterford, and Dundalk, which is local to us. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what was available to people in Dundalk. So in Dundalk, we, when we looked at it, there was only, uh, at any price, there was uh, 16 properties. And within a discretionary half le- uh, limit, there was six properties uh, in total over the three days. So really what you're looking at here is... Um, I think what, what we probably described as, as a functional zero, really, um, we're looking at a, a 
a situation where, you know, when you break that down, when you look at people presenting with a housing assistance payment, um, when you look at the number of people experiencing homelessness who may be trying to avail of that property, um, there really are very few options. And we're starting to see that as well reflected in the national figures for the number of people accessing a HAP payment, which is starting to uh, actually decrease nationally. It's still a very important resource that's there for people on low incomes. There's still 49,000, uh, in excess of 49,000 households who are getting housing assistance payment and that's helping them to maintain their home in the private rental market. Mm. So, um, But I think what the real learning is, is that we, when we started doing the locked out reports um, some years ago, we were really looking at what was available to people on this payment in a private rental market and seeking uh, to monitor that and seeking to get government to make sure that people on a low income were able to compete in the private rental market if that was going to be an option for them. I think what our report is now showing is that, you know, HAP rates are not about affordability anymore. It's about sort of buying people into the market and we're continuing to, we can't continue to chase rents. And also the market itself is becoming so tight that it, it's really not a viable option for the vast majority of people who are on low incomes, for the vast majority of people, particularly that the Simon communities are concerned about who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness as a mechanism to keep themselves out of homelessness okay. or to support them to get out of homelessness. Okay, let me that ask- means we really need the local authorities to step up. Okay, um, I, I, yeah. I, I was going to ask you what I thought was a, an impossible question. I think you were just about to answer it there uh, because what I was going to say is, is that if there were just 41 properties uh, available to rent and 11,500 people homeless in the country, uh, all of those people who are in emergency accommodation must think there is no hope uh, because you just, uh, you're competing uh, with too many people for too few properties. Uh, and you said you don't want to chase rents. So I take it that means you're not suggesting increasing HAP payments, but what is the solution? So uh, I think the solution is what I think we've been calling for 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 a long time. We need people, we need to look at how we can increase the public housing stock and make sure there's secure, affordable homes uh, for people uh, experiencing homelessness. So that means we need to um, provide, look at uh, innovations like modular build, which is the way that homes are built, you know, across the rest of Europe. Um, And there's a sort of a fledgling or or a, industry in Ireland in that and what happens in that in that the homes are built and, and permanent homes we're talking about here now are built in factories and then brought to site and can be can be erected in a day um, and they can be put together in a factory in, in a couple of weeks so we need to see that that sort of innovation and technology developed by our local authorities and and uh, houses built on sites at scale. I think th- th- there's a further urgency here in that we currently have a moratorium on evictions and that's a really welcome initiative by the government brought about because of the, the scale of the homelessness crisis that we're now seeing and the fact that we're really at capacity across the country when it comes to emergency accommodation. So uh, if we're going to when um, see that ban, that ban on evictions lifted at the end of March, which is the current plan. We need to see action in the next 12 weeks. And really, the only option that's available in such a short period of time is to look at the stock of local authority housing that we have, um, look at the vacancy levels, look at allocations 
processes and what can what can we divert to those people who are in or at imminent risk of homelessness to make sure that we, we drive down the numbers of people in homelessness because simply we don't have capacity even to provide uh, or we're running out of capacity to even provide emergency accommodation at this point. Okay, I'm sure you made those thoughts known at uh, the housing conference in government buildings with uh, the Taoiseach and uh, the Minister this week. Uh, are, are you encouraged by the approach that was taken by the government this week in reaching out to people for ideas? Um, I think it's always good uh, to talk uh, to people in the sector. I think in terms of what comes out of it, uh, we'll wait to see what the, the details of any uh, you know sort of additionality to the Housing for All plan. And we do regularly engage with the Minister, obviously. But I think we're now at the point where uh, sort of giving credit Although credit is due, I don't want to be—I don't want to be harsh about it. But I, but I think what we need now is to see results. We need to see the homeless figures start to come down. We need to see real action that's going to deliver secure, affordable homes for people uh, across the country, particularly those who are suffering the trauma of uh, homelessness. Okay, so thank we, you. you know, that really needs to be done. Thank you very much indeed. Wayne Stanley, Executive Director of the Simon Communities. That's our programme for today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael and God willing we'll see you for our next programme Monday morning 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie